Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to episode six of Grow With Soul. Today, it's just me, and I'm going to be digging into two of the most crucial elements in marketing. And these are also the two things that people really struggle with, and that is knowing your why and knowing your audience. So these are the two things that I always do first of all with all my clients. It's the first couple of weeks of the work that we do together is really focusing on the why and really focusing in on the audience. And it's also the things that you guys have said to me over the course of the podcast being live that you'd love to know more about and that you really struggle with. So today that's what we're going to be focusing on is really the theory behind both of those two things. So why are they so important, first of all? Well, they are important because they inform your entire marketing strategy and actually your whole business altogether. So that's everything from the content that you create, where you put your brand, even the products and the offerings that you're providing, they must all really stem from these two things. So first off, knowing your why. This is the thing that people find not boring, but just really boggy. So it takes a lot of thinking about, it feels a bit complicated, and it's also really difficult to do for yourself because you kind of know it, but you can't put it into words. There's a TED Talk by a guy called Simon Sinek that I will link in the show notes, but I get all of my clients to watch it. And part of that talk, he says, is that the limbic system in the brain, which is the part of the brain that controls emotion, is also the part of our brain that controls decision making. So while we're making decisions, it's not the rational part of our brain, it's the emotional part of our brain. And that's also the bit that can't put things into words because it's not the part of the brain that controls language. So that's why when we're thinking about making a decision or we're thinking about things like our why, we know how it feels, but we just can't put it into words. And so that is why it's really, really difficult to come up with this. But it is absolutely the cornerstone of your business is this why. So why do you need a why? First off, it makes people love your brand and not your product. So if you are basing your business just around what that you do, you're getting people who will then kind of price compare, they're shopping around comparing the things, rather than getting people to see your brand and they think, yes, that is exactly it. I almost don't care what the product is. I just want to buy it. So think about that for yourself and your own shopping habits. So who are the people who, whatever course they bring out, you're definitely going to buy that course. Or who, what are the brands that you will always go and buy from and you don't even really need to think about it. That's because you buy into their brand rather than you need their product. And that's so much more powerful. And that's the way that you create lasting relationships with customers and a real kind of community around your brand is if you all buy into that one central why and that you can make them feel like the person they want to be through that why. A strong why also enables you to pivot your business in the future if you want to. So because it's not all about the product, it means that you can then go on 
And in three years time, if you think, I don't want to be doing web design anymore, I want to be branching out and doing whole branding design. If you're starting from your business from a why, then it makes so much more sense that you can pivot that service rather than you've become known as the world's best web designer, for example. And the other thing that it's great for is that it gives you an anchor for all of your marketing. So one thing that I know people really struggle with is choosing what to do. And when there's every single thing in the whole world you can talk about and write about and, you know, all those funnels and things that people keep advising you to do, if you don't have that strong anchor of your why, it's really easy to get lost. Whereas when you do have that and you have this central thing that your brand stands for, it's much easier to kind of compare what you're thinking of doing with what you stand for and and be able to kind of tick box it off and be like, "Mm, that doesn't sit right or yes, that really does. And the same with all your content is it can all stem from there. And if you think, well, is this piece of content that I'm thinking about really communicating my brand why? And if it's not, then you probably shouldn't be writing about it. What we're going to talk about is how you can find your why. But before we get into that, don't feel like you're setting up this why and it has to see you through for the rest of your life (laughs) because yeah that's quite a lot of pressure and your why can definitely flex over time so mine definitely has over the last year as I've been doing more work and really digging into things mine has definitely flexed and it's taken on a slightly new form so when I first started out it was all about helping others get the lifestyle that they wanted And it still is that, but now it's progressed much more along to it's about people not feeling that they are doing things because they should do and releasing them from that kind of tyranny of the should do and letting them do things on their own terms and that feel good and soulful to them. So you can see that it's progressed and it's kind of matured slightly over the last year, but it's still pretty much the same. So it will flex and don't worry about it being the most perfect why of all time right at this minute. So how to find your why? So there's an exercise in episode one, which I know a few people have done because they've shared it online, about the five whys. So if you ask yourself why five times, it really helps you get to the nub of that. So go back to episode one when you finish listening to this and do that exercise. If that's not helping or you're you're not quite at that point to be doing that exercise, start by thinking about what do you want to be known for? And get really specific about it. You can't have a list of 10 things. It has to be one thing. So if there are two friends having a conversation and one of them is recommending you, what is that one thing that you want to be recommended for? That is something that I found really useful is in terms of when there's everything to be talking about in the whole world, what is that one thing? What do I really want to be known for? How can I shine? So in my case, again, I started off thinking, oh, I'm a business coach. But then actually when I started to focus and be like, it's really marketing that is my strong suit. That's what I know best. And all the clarity work that goes with marketing. And I thought that's what I wanted to be known for. But then not just marketing, because anyone can be known for marketing. There are lots of people out there who are talking about marketing in a certain way. And actually, I'd want to be known for that kind of girl bossy style of marketing. I want to be known for a really soulful, different kind of marketing that is really aimed for people who aren't trying to grow six, seven figure businesses and have hundreds of thousands of people on their email lists. I want that. I want to be known for that kind of really organic marketing. 
And so that's kind of how you can start to really inch closer towards something that's more of a niche, more of a specific why to you by starting to really dig into what you want to be known for. Another thing that I also get my clients to do is to really assess their skills and look into that a little bit more. So this can help you get to more the how of what you do. If we think that there's a a why, a how and a what, then really assessing your skills can get into the how which can inform the why. So for example, I have a client who, when she wrote down all her skills, she was quite surprised that it was all sort of really project management, really straight talking, finding systems and processes for things. That was really what she was good at and all of her skills were about that rather than the thing that she was actually selling her what. So when we actually thought, well, if that's how you're going to be doing it, how does that affect your why? And then what she kind of realised was that actually, given that her how is finding systems and processes for things, her why on top of that was helping people take themselves seriously. That was what she cared about doing, was helping women to take themselves seriously in their businesses And how she did that was through systems and processes. Whereas when she just started with her what, which was helping women in their businesses, the why was a little bit more wishy-washy. So that can be something that can be really helpful. And lastly, this is a exercise that I do both with my clients and in my courses. And it's all about kind of getting everything that you're thinking about your brand and getting it out of your brain and onto a page and then refining it from there. Because so often we've got all the ideas going round and round in our head and it's really difficult to get them out and to to order them while they're in your brain. So getting them out is the best thing to do. So what I get people to do is to, on a big piece of paper or however you like to work, write down all the words that you associate with your brand or that you want to be associated with your brand And also write down the key things that you as a person and you as a brand care about and believe in. Write them all down on a piece of paper. And from there, you will start to see things that will come up again and again. And you'll realise that some of the words that you've put down are all synonyms for the same thing. And that can then help you really start to draw in a why and think, well, if I'm talking about empowerment, one in every word, then maybe that's what's driving me and you can start to build your why around that. But mostly don't worry too much about your why. I know it's something that people find quite stressful because they feel that they can't move on if they don't have it exactly completely right. And what I would say is that, like I said before, it is a work in progress. And if you can feel it, then it exists. It's just about putting it into words and it will really help you. But just sometimes it just needs to sit and stew for a little while. And that's fine. You don't have to kind of finish listening to this episode and spend an hour coming up with your why. It might take two weeks and that's absolutely fine. But just kind of keep moving it round and round in your head. And the last thing to do is very often, even if you have written out like five paragraphs... (laughs) And that's what your why is. It's starting to refine it down into what we would traditionally call an elevator pitch. So as you no doubt know, all through time, the elevator pitch has been the thing that if you were stuck in an elevator with your dream client and you had one to three minutes to tell them all about your business and convince them, what would you say to them in that elevator ride? 
Whereas actually now, now we're in the 21st century, the elevator ride is really shortened down to about five seconds because you're not in an elevator anymore. You don't have that one to three minutes. What you've got is the five seconds that your ideal client is scrolling Instagram and lingers over your profile or the five seconds that they've opened up your website before they click over to one of the other 15 tabs that they've got open, right? So you've really got that really short period of time to grab their attention and get them to carry on reading. So the new elevator pitch is really just a sentence that is the biggest hook that you've got to get them to carry on reading. So it doesn't have to be the full story in that one kind of sentence, but it has to be enough to get them to go over to your about page or wherever you have the full story and to carry on reading. So even if you have a full sentence and then a wider paragraph underneath, that first sentence has to grab them and really be what it's all about. So for me, it's really helping you to grow with soul. That's the thing that hooks people in. They don't necessarily know what it's about yet, but the words in there for the right people are going, okay, I need to read some more about this because that has really piqued my attention. So that's the kind of next stage on. So once you've found your why and you've you've kind of got a couple of sentences or maybe a couple of paragraphs about it, it's time to start to condense it down into something that's going to grab people's attention and get them to explore your brand further. That's the thing with all marketing. You don't have to tell the whole story in one little piece. It's all about eking people further along on their journey through your brand and getting them to read just one more thing or look at just one more picture or just one more page on your website. That's all you, all every piece of communication has to do is just gently move people on to the next one. So let's move on to knowing your audience because this is really the perennial challenge of not just small businesses or bloggers or, you know, businesses like ours. This is the perennial challenge of all businesses, no matter how big or how small, all over the world. And there are businesses who spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on focus grouping and getting to know their audience better because no business has it 100%. And this is the question I'm asked so often and that's what I want to say. If you feel like, oh, I don't know my audience, oh, I'm such a failure, I'm not a proper business person, you know, there are really huge businesses out there who don't know their audience either. You know, if you've ever received an email from a business, you're like, why the hell am I receiving this? This is nothing to do with me. This doesn't speak to me in any way. That is a brand who doesn't know their audience. So it happens all the time. So don't worry about it. And there are lots of little things that we can do to get to know them better. And also you are at a huge advantage because you are a real human being and through your Instagram or other social media or your emails or wherever, you can have one-to-one conversations with your audience on a daily basis. Now, the great big shops aren't going to be able to do that because they are an organisation. There's not one person who's in control of that and it doesn't get filtered through properly. Because you're the one leading all of this, you can get real feedback right at the coalface and you can get it at the click of a button by putting up a stories poll or the question feature or just asking a question in a caption or, or on Twitter. You can get feedback like that. So really use your smallness to your advantage when it comes to this. 
I actually have a blog post that I'll link in the show notes, which has loads of different ideas for using your audience to focus group and get answers out of in a nice way that doesn't feel like you're surveying them all the time. So I'll link that in the show notes, but that is something to use when you're thinking about the exercises that I'm going to explain. So first of all, though, let's look at how audience knowledge helps you in your marketing. And I know it's like obvious, but there are things that people don't always think about. So what it helps you to do first and foremost is know what to talk about and how. So it helps you to know the things that your audience are really going to want to read, want to engage with, want to buy, (laughs) crucially. And it also can help you to know how to communicate to that to them in the best way. So by really talking to their pain points and their goals and helping them to see themselves reflected in your copy. That is the most important thing that you've got to do is for people to be able to read what you've written, whether that's in a blog post, a sales page, a product description, and see themselves reflected in that and think, well, this is obviously for me because this is this is exactly my problem. This is exactly what I need. So the more that you know your audience and what they're struggling with and what their life is like, the more that you can really nail and get really specific with the detail of your copy that means that they without a shadow of a doubt, know that you are speaking to them and you avoid all that generalisation. The other thing that it's really good for is knowing where to find your audience. This really is the one, isn't it? Because, yeah, we all kind of know what our pain points are, but where the hell are they? (laughs) And yes, this is really the crucial bit. So not just online, but offline as well. And when you can really kind of think about your audience as a real person and where they are hanging out online and, you know, when they're on the train in the morning, what are they doing and where do they go for their lunch and what do they see when they're there and what are they reading? When you can start to build that kind of picture up, it can be, it's so much easier to know where to be finding them, where to be putting your stuff to be getting in front of your audience. And getting to know your audience is really an ongoing process. So you might do this profile that I'm about to talk you through. And this is what happens with my clients is that they do the first one and they think, oh, it's rubbish, right? It can't, it's not good enough. This is an ongoing process. The more that you get to know your audience, the more that you can add into this profile. If you have a profile, it should always be a working document. It's never finished you're always adding little bits in as you're getting more tidbits of information. So don't worry about getting it right first time because there isn't a first time, it's always ongoing, you're always, always learning. So this is just the starting point. The other thing to think about is that the audience you currently have may not be your ideal audience. So if you are transitioning from one kind of business to another, or you have an Instagram, for example, that was kind of your personal Instagram and now you really will start using it for business. The people you have there may not be your ideal audience. Um, So just kind of be aware of that as you start to think about your audience, as you start to poll and ask questions of your audience, just to be mindful that if your current audience aren't your ideal audience and you may have to look further afield for your information. So how do we get to know your audience? First off, I want to say that educated guessing is fine to start with. 
if you don't have reams and reams of data or lots of survey responses or whatever else, it's absolutely fine to start at the beginning with educated guessing as long as you continue to add more informed knowledge further down the line. And the reason it's okay to start with educated guessing is because in purposeful small businesses like ours, very often we are our target audience, more or less. And usually because we have started a business that we wanted and couldn't find, or because it's just very purposeful to us and we really believe in it. So you can use yourself and your own experience and beliefs to inform that profile, but just be aware that you are bringing your own biases and prejudices to that. So I've done this. So for example, when I was very, very first setting up my newsletter, I had all the ideas I wanted to do for it and I knew what I would want to receive from my from myself. And I just put it to Instagram that I'm planning out my new newsletter. What kind of things would you like to see? And what I was really surprised at was that I got a lot of people come back and say, oh, we'd like a kind of personal letter from you about what you've been doing that month as well. And I was really surprised because me, I'm just like, just give me all the really valuable things that I can learn from and work on and I don't want to hear anything about the person. But it was good that people said that because that had never occurred to me because of my own personal biases. And actually that kind of letter right at the beginning of my newsletter is always the thing that really engages people and I get responses about. So yes, use your own experience and beliefs, but know that you're bringing certain prejudices to that and to challenge those regularly. The other thing that I want to just say before we get really into it is on demographics. So if you are to Google about finding your audience, getting to know your audience, finding your ideal client, yada yada. Very often the things that you'll find are about demographics. And yes, demographics are kind of good to build a picture of the person in your mind. But unless you are doing some very targeted, expensive advertising, they aren't actually very helpful. Because if you think about it, if you're thinking about your audience, and you go, well, I know that they're aged 25 to 35, they live in an urban environment, they're female, they're a teacher, whatever. If that's all the information you've got, that doesn't actually help you in a practical way. You can't use that to write a blog post that really speaks to your ideal client. So yes, have some demographic information in there, just so you can give you a ballpark of what their life might be like, because if you're speaking to a 20-year-old versus a 65-year-old, they're going to have slightly different routines and, and lives. But other than that, you can really skip over them because they are not going to help you in a practical way. What is going to help you in a practical way is starting to think about them as a whole human being. So this is something that we all do, and it must just be the way that our brains work as humans, but we like to box people off and things off. We like to put them into boxes and be like, this is what they think about this. So very often when we approach our customers, we think about them not as a whole person, but the dimension of them that needs what we have. We just think about that. And this is something that you they talk about a lot in B2B marketing is that the person who is wanting to buy your service is also somebody who goes and plays tennis at the weekend 
or loves a cocktail or loves going out for dinner or luxury travel or whatever. They are also the whole person. And just because they are buying your web design service doesn't mean that they cease to be that other person. This is something actually that I was illustrated to me where I went to a talk by the marketing director at the time of castrol oil. And she showed us a video of some guys working on an oil rig doing the Harlem Shake. So this was like back in 2015 or whenever the Harlem Shake came out. But they were all doing the Harlem Shake and they and it had all gone viral and what have you. And then she showed us the marketing collateral that they sent to them and it was all very square, very fact-driven. And the two didn't didn't match up of these guys who were obviously like a great community on their oil rig. They had a lot of fun. They had a sense of humour versus this very just laced up kind of marketing because they were only speaking to them in a business context not to the whole person so really think about that think about your whole person because the more that you can speak to the emotions and the feelings that they have the better you're going to do so if their hobby is luxury travel even if you sell web design services to carry on that metaphor All their emotions, all the things that make them happy are involved in luxury travel. So how can you join those two things together? Well, you can talk about the feelings that they will have when they go on a holiday. You can use similar language to luxury travel companies through your company so you can kind of evoke that in their mind. And also just be more blatant about it. If you are also somebody who loves luxury travel and your audience loves luxury travel, then maybe talk about it in your marketing, in your Instagram or whatever, because that's going to really appeal to that side of them. And because they are one whole joined up person, if you're appealing to their hobby side of them, that is also going to appeal to the other side that they're thinking about their web design services. And this can go for product businesses too. So if you sell cushions, which seems to be the only product example I ever use, but we'll go with cushions. Your person loves luxury travel, but also you sell cushions. Well, how can you make your cushions evoke the feelings that they get in luxury travel? So maybe you have some like nice big ones, which feel like they've come from a souk or you can imagine them in a Riyadh in Morocco or whatever. And you can kind of evoke those feelings through your photography and the way that you describe your cushion. That's how you can bring those two things together. So yes, you're thinking of them as a whole person. So some ways that you can really dig into that and get that out is to think about what do they want? Not just from your business, but in their life generally. What are they aiming for? What are their goals? What's their big dream? What's their five-year plan? When they are on a dog walk and they're daydreaming, what are they daydreaming about? What do they really want to achieve? As I said, both from what they can get out of your business, but also out of life. So to use the cushion example, maybe they have bought a new sofa and they just really want to redo their whole living room and make it really cosy. But then also out of life, they want more space and time to travel. Well, they're two different things, but you can talk to each of those in your content and in your marketing. And then most importantly, once you know what they want, the next stage is what's holding them back from achieving that? So what are their challenges? What is stopping them from achieving those goals? And what is just causing them a bit of a nightmare in their life generally? And how can you speak to those, again, 
both in terms of what they need from your business and in terms of their life generally. So for my business, some of those challenges are a lack of know-how about marketing, a lack of clarity about what people's business stands for, a lack of confidence or icky feelings about selling and not wanting to be that person. So these are all the kind of challenges that my audience have. So these are the things that I really speak to through what I produce in my content. It's what my all my coaching packages and my courses are built towards solving those challenges. And just off the cuff things like an Instagram caption, I'll always think about what is that challenge that I can be speaking to, even in a very, very small way through an Instagram caption. So spend some time really thinking about those things and getting them down on paper so that you can start to create content that speaks to those things. And these are really great things that you can ask your audience, but obviously not in a really blatant, what are your challenges way. So a really good one for this is saying something that you might have struggled with. So for example, oh, I've had real writer's block this week. I've just not been able to produce any kind of content do you struggle with writing or are you always full of ideas for your blog content for example and then you can get but you'll get people saying oh no I'm really I really struggle with xyz with my content writing and then that is something that you can start to speak to if say you are a web designer again or similarly with your cushion company you will have questions like what do you want your living room to look like when you are relaxing at home, how do you want your room to feel, things like that, that you can start to get those challenges coming through where people said, well, I'd love it to feel like this, but I can't because my teenager has put loads of washing in the living room or whatever. So start to use those questions in a really creative way to get some real feedback from people on those challenges. But very often, if you have started a business, it will have been to solve a problem. So you'll already know what those problems are. It's just kind of, again, taking some extra steps to get really specific about how that problem manifests for your customer. So going back to those demographics, if you are, say, a virtual assistant, and so what you do is basically help people who've not got enough time to do stuff. If you are helping somebody who is 25, the way that the her lack of time shows up in her life is going to be different to somebody who's 55. Her lack of time is going to be caused by different things. So that's how you kind of bring the demographics in, is that you start with the problem and then think, well, how does this problem manifest itself specifically for the people that I am targeting? So the last thing that you need to do after you've got their goals and you've got their challenges is working out their watering holes. So watering holes are things that always get a bit of a chuckle on workshops and things because it sounds weird or like their pub or whatever. But really the watering hole is where your audience goes to get their information and their inspiration. So those are the two things that people online and offline go and look for in content is that they want really specific information about something or they want generally to be inspired and entertained. So if you can get yourself in the places that those two things happen, that's where you're going to be getting in front of your audience. So often I don't tell people that this is what they've got to do. So if I was to say to you, just write down 
all the podcasts that your people listen to, you're going to put down all of them, even the really big ones. But if I say to you, write down all the podcasts that your people listen to that you've got a pitch to, you're not going to put the big ones down on there. You're going to self-select because it's really scary. So don't think for the moment about the fact that you've got to go and pitch to be in these places. Just write down the biggest picture that you can of where your person is getting their inspiration and their information. So rather than just writing down Instagram, you've got to write down who are they following? What hashtags do they like? What kind of aesthetic are they drawn to? What sort of pictures are they double tapping on? And you can even go like a whole hog further. And if you wanted to, you could create a collection in your saves so that when you're scrolling Instagram and you see a picture that you think, yep, my person would love that, you can save it to that collection and build up a bit of a picture there, both of the accounts that your person might be following, but also of the aesthetic that they're drawn to. Because that's the other thing that you can use the watering holes information for is to inform your own content in a way that you can look at what your person is drawn to and create content that uses those themes and those tropes. So say, for example, if your customer is somebody who might follow me, then you can look at the sort of themes and tropes that I use, which is often cups of tea, notebooks, very earthy tones, those kind of things. And you think, well, if that's the kind of image that they're drawn to, how can I bring those themes into my own imagery in my own way, but so that they are there as a signpost to my people that, hey, I'm for you, you're going to want to come and look closer at my account. And the same goes for content. If you tend to write your blog posts quite formally, but then you start to explore the other websites and, and magazines that they might be reading, and if they are more informal, then you should adjust your tone so that it still sounds like you, but it just, again, signposts to your audience that you get them and that you are going to be somebody that they're going to enjoy engaging with. So that's the two jobs of your watering holes, knowing where they are so that you can then in the future pitch to be in those places. And so what I get people to do here is to write a hit list. So if you've got magazines and podcasts and things like that, just write them all down and put a date. So this is how you deal with the big scary ones. I have a hit list of my own and I have some podcasts on there that have a date of end of 2019 next to them because they're just too scary and big to think about right now. But I know that they are somewhere that I need to be in the future. So I'm building up to getting to that point. And then I also have others which I would pitch to immediately, more or less. So maybe a magazine that I have spoken to the editor of on Instagram while well, I now I've gotten in there. So I'm going to pitch to them sooner rather than later. Um, and then again, looking at the ecosystem that you are now a part of, the ecosystem of your customer, what they're seeing all the time, their own little echo chamber that they've built for themselves and how you can earn a place within that ecosystem and also work within it. So again, that's your tones, your themes, your topics, making sure that you are showing yourself as somebody that your audience is going to love to engage with. So that's kind of it for today. A lot of stuff in there, so you might want to give it a re-listen. But yes, so some conclusions for you to take away. So 
with finding your why, go back to episode one and listen to the five why exercise and have a go at that. Think about what you want to be known for, assess your skills and how you do what you do and get all those keywords and beliefs and themes out of your head onto paper and see what commonalities there are and how you can use those to inform your why. And then with your audience, start with educated guessing and thinking about yourself. Do a few demographics, but don't focus on it. Think about their goals, think about their challenges and think about those places that are getting that inspiration and that information. So, Yes, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for sharing where you've been listening over the last couple of weeks. It's been really great to see the desks and also the beaches and landscapes where you are and how you've been working on the elements that we've been speaking about in the episodes. So please do continue tagging me at Simple and Season in all of your stories and things like that and do remember to send the episodes to a friend that you think might find them useful and if you have a few seconds it would be great if you could leave a rating and review in your podcast app to help more people find me and until next time I hope you grow a soul